Hello and welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the show about two guys who decided to try to understand America's psyche by going back and watching your grandfather's favorite television show, The Andy Griffith Show. That was our best intro to it to uh, to date. I I was working on it. I've been thinking I'm trying to up my game here. We're on we're on iHeartRadio now, Dan. So <laughs> the, we've arrived to the big show. No more of describing it as a couple of dudes just hanging out watching the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> no, no, we are we are in the big leagues. We are on YouTube and iHeartRadio. You know, I told uh I told Gabe from Ghouls Next Door that we were on iHeartRadio and her response was Oh, I'm sure someone's mom is very excited about that. I, we we may have to edit this out because I have no fucking idea what iHeartRadio is. It's it's like a clear channel, like Pandora type thing that nobody uses. Uh, or at least I thought no one used it, but like 14 people listened to us the first day we were on there from it. So if you're on here from iHeartRadio, thanks! Uh, <laughs> we're sorry. Also, uh, thank you to everyone who's checking us out on YouTube now. Uh, we are expanding our reach as far as we possibly can. Uh, and to that end, big news, we're launching a Patreon. I can't believe we're launching a fucking Patreon. It's so, it's great. It's fantastic. I'm, I'm very excited to dance for nickels. But yeah, we are launching a Patreon because Dan and I are coming up with all sorts of cool ideas as we come through with this. But we would, and we're looking to cover some of the hosting fees for the things that we're doing here. You can get things like early access to episodes. You can have outtakes and bonus material. Live chat with us at the highest tier. Uh, and the one that I think is really cool, we'll offer actual bonus episodes whatever people of a certain tier vote on for us or submit to us so you can make us watch whatever you want we will be the dancing monkeys for you i really want it to not be that people uh are like i want them to talk about this thing i'm interested in and i want people to just torture us with shitty tv <laughs> like i want to be forced to watch like i want to be forced to watch baywatch nights <laughs> like I, I I hope that you people are as malicious as possible in using that function. You can do this. You can just I'll, I'll even open it up to bad movies. You can put us up for bad movies too. But today we're talking about a couple of episodes of the Andy Griffith Show. We're still in season one. We're doing episodes twenty three and twenty four, both directed by Big Bob Sweeney of Bob Sweeney's Automotive, home of the best deals on wheels, just south of I ninety five on the Parkway. Tell them Big Bob sent you. <laughs> Civil and Revolutionary War reenactor, Bob Sweeney. That one's good. I like that one. Doing episodes 23 and 24. Episode 23, Andy and Opie Housekeepers, uh, which airs March 13th, 1961. This is a David Adler episode, disappointingly. This was Adler? This was Adler! Oh my god, was he in some sort of... I feel like he must have been going through like a depression. Adler gotta eat. Like, this is a paycheck episode. Episode 24, which I think we're actually going to do first this time. Uh, the New Doctor, also directed by Bob Sweeney. 
uh, written by good old Charles Ellison and Jack Stewart. Nope, scratch that. Charles Stewart and Jack Ellison. Uh, that <laughs> that the, airs March twenty seventh, nineteen sixty one. Are those two our hitters? Are they the guys that have like come out like with some of the? They've are, are, they've done some of the best and the worst, right? They're they're the most common names that we've seen. Uh, yeah. We've seen them do uh, like Horse Trader, those Gospin Men, Beauty Contest, Alcohol and Old Lace, Cyrano, Andy. Uh, Ooh, they're, so they're, they're they're the gold standard of of fucked up gender shit. We've seen them many times, and we'll continue to see them many times. They're basically the uh, the the front runners of this episode of this series. They definitely are the uh, the the gold standard of this particular duo. They're the one. They're the episode that I didn't have to try to watch seven fucking times before I got through it once. So yeah, we're gonna start off with uh with the new doctor. The, the one that I wouldn't say is good, but is definitely an episode of television. Uh, not just a, a vague, meandering series of events to the same two songs over and over again. You're referring to your hatred for uh, Andy and Opie Housekeeper. I hate, 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 I, I hate that episode more than I've hated a lot of things in the last year. And it's been, it's 2018. This, this episode of TV was like just... Spending my leisure watching Andy and Opie house uh, housekeepers in between all the nightmares that we are subjected to was just like such salt in the wound. <laughs> but yeah, let's let's get into the the one that is tolerable. So first off, before we get into this, let me go ahead and I'm gonna read the one sentence summary from Wikipedia, and then I have something I want to talk about about our guest star in this episode, episode twenty four, the new Doctor. Andy suspects that the new doctor, actor George Nader, is trying to steal Ellie away from him. So before we get into this, I want to talk about uh, George Nader, our guest star on this, who plays the young doctor that comes to town that Ellie is quote-unquote infatuated with. Uh, George Nader has a couple of interesting things in his background. Uh, Number one, I enjoy this sentence right here from his Wikipedia uh, article, which states... He is remembered for his first starring role in the low-budget 3D sci-fi film Robot Monster, 1953, <laughs> known as one of the worst films ever made. That, that sounds like the fake movie that would run in like the background of a Futurama episode. That, do you think they had just discovered the idea that robots could also be monsters? It's entirely possible. Evil Moon Robot. This is the plot of Robot Monster. Oh, Evil Moon Robot Roman Extension XJ2, referred Roman. to as just Roman, has seemingly destroyed all human life on Earth with a calcinator death ray, except for eight humans that remain alive. Guys, guys, guys. Yes. The robot's name is Roman. You've, <laughs> by God, Charles, you've nailed it. That people will be like. It's it's a man, but also a robot. How will we ever remember that information? Oh, this poster fucking rules too. It looks like there's a an an iguana that they're trying to pass off as a dinosaur. Um, Wait, it's dinosaurs too. (laughs) Yeah, the the robot monster, by the way, is literally like a small King Kong style monster. So it's just a gorilla with a skull head in a space helmet. So they didn't totally understand what a robot was in addition to this. They were still, (laughs) they were explaining, it was like, it's like a man that's made out of machine. So like a, like some sort of, 
of ape? Like an ape? It's like like a metal ape. Like it it took them a minute to wrap their heads around this concept. Uh, but I was gonna say, if you told me that this guy was like a successful, famous actor, I would have been furious because he sucks so fucking bad. I don't understand why every guest character is a fucking robot. Like, he just comes in, he's like, Hello, my name is Jonathan Acting. It is good to meet you, Andy Griffith. Like, none of the characters are people. They're just like... They're just a speaking spell that say lines. The other interesting thing about George Nader, because... Last time, Dan, you talked about Rock Hudson for a while, right? We've mentioned how Rock Hudson was brought up as a sex symbol on the Andy Griffith Show several times. Nader closeted gay during his film career, but he wasn't one of the people who, like, used a beard. He didn't, like, have fake relationships with women. But he lived with a partner, and they were both good friends of Rock Hudson. In fact, his partner was Rock Hudson's personal secretary uh, from 1972 until he died. Uh, and they actually inherited interest from H- Hudson's estate after Rock Hudson died. So they were good friends of Rock Hudson, who we've kind of come back to numerous times here as just kind of a representation of the, I guess, sexual oppression of the time. Yeah. Uh, it's- so it's it's another connection there. So it's really interesting that this particular actor uh, was on this show at this time. Something we now know is a great tragedy that at the time the Andy Griffith show was just like, yeah, fuck yeah, Rock Hudson. Like, yeah, it's, it, there's like this sort of, you're, you're, we're looking back at it and there's just sort of this, this very sad underground of, of just oppressed gay actors. Yeah, it's, it's tragic. And then the, the last thing I want to say before we actually recap this episode, uh, just to set the stage for you, from the ultra-reliable Mayberry Wiki... Uh, here's a trivia note. Oh, Christ. Although Dr. Benson moves to Mayberry and plans on settling there, he is never seen or heard from again. <laughs> that is the most reoccurring note of of this show. Is just like, the person moves here. A big deal is made of them moving here. They are never seen, uh, seen or heard from again. Because Andy Griffith shoots them in the back and buries them on a ditch in the outskirts of town. Alright, so so let's jump into this. Alright, so we start up in the kitchen of Andy's uh, home. Where Aunt B is cooking us some dinner. Cooking up like a storm. Like she has like 12 pots going. It's like she's cooking meth. It is way too elaborate of a cooking setup for three people. I, I feel like Aunt B is just always waiting for company to come over, right? Like... Just desperately watching the door. She, she's cooking up these giant feasts that she then needs to distribute to prisoners because she has no one other than Andy and a very small, loud child to cook for. Uh, so they're cooking and Aunt B brings up the subject of like the Saturday social or whatever. I gotta say, they got a lot of social events going on for a town with like 30 people in it. It's all through the church, which I guess is... It that, still, that makes sense. Yeah. But also, the best thing is they're discussing the uh, the social event, and they're they're talking about like what band is going to show up, and we have a very familiar name drop. Bar- uh, yes. Andy says, "Oh man, I hope they get Bobby Fleet and this band with a beat. They're the best." 
Which are they just? I thought Bobby Fleet swore off this horrible town forever. Does he just roll back in occasionally to play picnics? I love this idea. I love that Annie is now a convert to the Bobby Fleet fandom. <laughs> he has a T-shirt that he bought at one of the events. No. Bobby- oh, you know, you know that Andy's the guy that wears the T-shirt of the band he's going to see. He, he he absolutely is, and he yells during one of the songs, I know the drummer! What happened, I think, in, in my in my head is, Andy helped write up the contract for, uh, for Jim, the guitarist, and when he was doing so, he just squeaked in a thing of like, Bobby Fleet must play no less than three church picnics per year within Mayberry city limits. And so just every now and then, Bobby Fleet just has to come back to this godforsaken town that he hates. <laughs> to, to, to play for a fucking church of 10 old people anyway so aunt b uh basically says hey have you asked ellie about going to the social and andy's response is why would i need to ask her she's my girlfriend it's kind of like assumed that we're going together which no it is not and we only got confirmation that she was actually your girlfriend like two episodes ago what well, yeah. I see. I actually thought that this is Andy being like kind of healthy. I mean, you could read it two ways of one Andy kind of like taking life for granted. I kind of read it as like, oh, you know, Andy's secure in his relationship. They they trust each other. Uh, I, I think he like it's it's something I would be comfortable leaving unsaid. But I guess it depends on how long him and Ellie have actually been fucking dating. The problem is we have no idea how long their relationship has been going on. We have no idea how old it is, uh, which is why the next moment uh, where uh, Opie comes in is like, what are you going to ask her? Are you going to ask her to marry you? And everyone's just like, yeah, marry her, marry her, marry her. That's why it's such a like a problem. This entire episode is Opie and Aunt B trying to get uh, Andy to marry Ellie when we have no idea how long they've been together. This would be a great opportunity to treat Opie about bound uh, to sorry to teach Opie about boundaries. Like he he could like like explain like oh no here's an appropriate time to marry someone. Also here's an appropriate like like way to treat someone that you're in a relationship and not just like gun it for marriage. And instead he's just kind of like ah, I don't wanna I don't. I, I don't really I don't really feel like it. Please please leave me alone. Uh, <laughs> On top of that, also, here's an appropriate time for you to shut the fuck up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> shut up, loud child. Which Opie then follows by being like, I want you to marry Ellie so that I can have unlimited access to free ice cream. So this would be a great opportunity to teach Opie to not play with people's lives for free shit. Not also broadcast his his underhanded manipulation. Oh, there's no way that like any child of Andy Griffith is not going to be a master of emotional manipulation. Like, I learned it from watching you, Dad. <laughs> yeah, no, he, but Andy Griffith should have taken Opie aside and be like, "So when you're doing a grift, great grift you're running, by the way, trying to trick your dad into engaging in a long-term marriage so that you can get root beer floats. Love it, great <laughs> idea." When you're doing a grift, it's best to not scream said grift in an authority figure. Just moving forward, they tend to have an idea of what you're going for when you do that. But, yeah, no, and so and, and Andy's response to this is to just sort of, like, stutter? 
and get very uncomfortable. And I joined him. So we're all, like, given a blissful reprieve because Barney shows up in the cop car in the cruiser to pick up Andy to go to work uh, or something. Uh, And he's letting the siren go because he's Barney uh, and uh, Andy (laughs) yells at him for it. He says, uh, you keep playing with that siren, you're going to go deaf, which really sounds like saying to a teenage boy, you keep jerking off, you're going to go blind. Like, Oh yeah, that's, that's definitely like kind of the subtext there. Barney and Andy go to Ellie's shop where there is a handsome young man, a new doctor in town who is filling a prescription because remember, Ellie is the pharmacist. She has a job. That's her job. Which he 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 states very ex- he, he, like in in the most robotic manner. Hello, I am a doctor. I have moved to this town for doctor reasons. I have met Eleanor, your pharmacist. I look forward to being a doctor here. Like it's the most. Everyone who visits Mayberry is a fucking robot. They give them no texture or character whatsoever. Yeah, he really does have no personality. He is, however, visibly younger than Andy Griffith, which is interesting because last episode we were talking about age differences in relationships. So it's really interesting that uh, once we learn that the doctor is A, young, which Barney makes a big deal about because he says, well, we've had old doctors. We've had old Dr. Smith, old Dr. Elliot, whatever the name. Uh, We've never had a young doctor. Uh, And then... Uh, we also find out that the doctor is unmarried, and he's never had seen an unmarried doctor. So he's young, he's handsome, he's a doctor, and Barney just says that he's putting two and two together, and he's basically saying, "Listen, that dude is a much better match for Ellie than you are, because like age-wise they're closer, and job-wise they're closer, and also he's actually nice to her. <laughs> she doesn't seem to be mad at him all the time. He's I don't been- know." He's been here 20 minutes, and their relationship is already healthier than her one with you. She hasn't screamed at him once for being an asshole. Yeah, I, I gotta be honest, I'm kind of on Barney's side on this one. But our, Well, Barney is still on Andy's side, but he believes that this is going, like, he believes something's going on there, because Barney always believes that something's going on there. Barney sets up shop in Andy's head for, like, three scenes, and then proceeds to just sort of, like, Whisper in his here. First, it's in the pharmacy, and then it is in the uh, the jail. The line he uses is, uh, "If a chicken hawk is hanging around, it's wise for the rooster to not bury his head." Which one? What the fuck does that mean? And two, <laughs> is is Ellie a chicken in this scenario? Is the man a predator? It's a very tortured metaphor, but. He's not like, it, like it's uh, a little bit like buying the cow and the milk, but like this one never caught on. Yeah, it's it's buying the cow like like, but also like with an adversarial other animal. Um, but I, you you actually have a note here that says "fuck Barney" is being weird. Yes, because Barney is not trying to get Andy to like like, hey, uh, you should go talk to Ellie or like. Hey, you should, uh, you, he's not even, like, like, doing the Aunt B route of, like, you should, you should propose to Ellie. Uh, Barney is, it, it feels like Barney is trying to get Andy to either A, fight, or B, murder this doctor. Like, uh, Barney is not espousing, like, a particular course of action. He's just arguing, that he's just making the case for paranoia. And eventually, later on, 
actual physical violence. Yeah, yeah. And this goes on for a couple of scenes, right? Like, even after this impetus here, Barney is still talking and Andy is still, like, stewing. Uh, and then Aunt B comes in and Aunt B is on Barney's side because, remember, Aunt B is still trying to get Andy to propose. Uh, and also saying, hey, don't take uh, your girlfriend for granted. An underlying uh, theme in this episode is everyone knows that Andy kind of sucks and Ellie is way too good for him. I- I- Aunt B even says, you're, pr- you're supposed to stake your claim. That's the proper thing to do. Oh my like, god. Yeah. They're basically just saying, you gotta lock that shit down, bro. Lock that <laughs> I, shit down. They're, they're fucking turtle from Entourage at this point. You need to handcuff this woman to you while she's still stupid enough to like you. You're, the clock is running on this. Eventually she's going to realize that you're just, that your accent isn't charming and you're fucked. Aunt B walks in. Barney is already being really intense and paranoid. And Aunt B escalates. Like, Barney is like, hey, I think this situation is a, is a little alarming. And Aunt B, like, kicks the door and is like, it's crazy alarming. You need to freak the fuck out. Like, start behaving irrationally. Uh, let's see. So what, what happens next? What happens next? So, uh, uh, uh they, they, they all rush to the window because Aunt B looked out the window and they can see into the pharmacy from, from where they are. And Ellie's touching the doc's arm. And then Andy just kind of pouts and is like, well, I got to go do sheriff stuff. And he just <laughs> kind of runs out. I will say, I will fucking say, they are being PDA as all hell. Like, uh, if someone I was dating was touching another dude that she had just met this much, I would be, I wouldn't say I would be upset, but this would prompt a conversation. Like, I mean... There's some stuff that goes on, and I want to talk about it later, but there's some stuff in this episode that, like, Andy's not wrong to raise a few eyebrows on. The the Andy, the Ellie Doctor relationship, I don't even remember this fucking character's name because he's just a loaf of bread in a suit, but Ellie and this Doctor are being suspicious as all hell. Like, oh, it is notable to raise alarms. The problem is... No one reacts in it to a way that is helpful or effective or morally okay. Like, like Ellie is being kind of shitty to a person that she's dating. The doctor is also being kind of a skeevy jerk. And uh, you know what? Can can we let's let's talk about that right now? Actually, I was gonna save it for the reveal, but let's just talk about it now. So the the ultimate reveal of this is that is that Andy should not have been. Worried because uh, the doctor's fiance is on is, her way. Is on uh, her way. Like she's which like he, is he's engaged. Shit. Right. Right. Because because the way that they found out he was unmarried is that uh, Andy said, "So are you gonna come to settle down and settle, move in with your, move your family here?" And the doctor says, "Oh, I don't have a family. I'm not married." That would be the appropriate time for you to say, I have a fiance or I am engaged. It's like, it's like when you just happen to like forget to mention that you have a girlfriend to this cute girl at the bar. Like it just just doesn't come up. It just slips your mind. It's It's one of those bullshit moves. It's like the kind of like verbal gymnastics that an undercover cop has to do when you ask him if he's an undercover cop. Like, like he does... 
a fucking maneuver to not tell Andy that he has a fiance. Uh, which, why? Or is it? Yeah, there's no reason for this. No, it's it's the most unnecessary fucking farce. But and in addition to that, after not telling Andy that he has a fiance, him and Ellie proceed to, and we mentioned this before, PDA all the fuck over town. Like he goes over to her out her house several times without like telling anybody. You they're know, grabbing it, each other in the street. She like she's basically sitting on uh, on his lap in one scene. Like they're they're like having these conversations about like how much they like each other with inside jokes. Like they are. He he even says to Barney like during the checkup scene. The doctor's even like, "Yep, she's wonderful and she's hot too." Like, yeah. So like like. Back back to that like weird evasive maneuver like not mentioning the fiance. There's like only two options here. Number one, that was a bullshit evasive maneuver, and he was trying to cover his fiance up, you know, so that he could get with Ellie, and uh, Andy was completely right the entire time. Or number two, it's just bad writing. Like yeah, it's, it's probably number two. <laughs> it it feels like uh, the, I think the most real th- the most real possibility is. Ellie was fucking with Andy the entire episode for vague reasons because it felt like they were setting up that reveal that Andy was messing with that Ellie was messing with him and just did a bad job of writing it because it's the only thing that also justifies Ellie's behavior. Um, right. It, it, it's it's like it's like an Andy gets punished episode like those Gospin men, but Andy hasn't done anything to get punished for this time. Andy, for the most part, is being pretty cool this episode. His big crime is just not wanting to get too committal, which I the ep, with the episode kind of validates, but also kind of punishes him to excess for. Uh, the moral compass of this fucking episode is spinning wildly. I don't know what the like what the actual moral of this goddamn story is. So uh, let's jump back to where we were. So Barney decides to go do some investigating of his own. Uh, and he goes to the new doctor's office to go get a checkup. Uh, and the doctor is just like, okay. Uh, what no, no, you no, 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 no. This is, that is, that is not the first uh, investigation Barney conducts. He first begins tailing the doctor. Following the doctor around town, hiding behind various objects in the town, just sort of watching the doctor go into the store, which he could have done from behind a window like they did before. But he starts doing, like, shitty James Bond. Uh, And then one point that that happens is he's hiding behind a pillar and a farmer is just walking by and just kind of looks at him. And Barney has to, like, pretend like he was measuring the pillar. But at this point, I don't understand why anyone is at all surprised to see Barney sneaking around town. I feel like that just must be a thing that happens on Tuesday. Like, oh, something must be only slightly amiss. Barney is hiding behind a mailbox spying on someone. This is the most normal sight in our town. This is what a deputy is for. Let's skip to the uh, checkup scene. Um... Because uh, it's a pretty fucking good scene. Yeah, th- this is another opportunity for some Don Knotts physical comedy. Uh, and uh, it's a good example of, like, somebody being a good foil for Barney because they just completely ignore him. 
And in this case, George Nader's, like, terrible acting kind of works really well because his job is not to react to Barney at all and just let Barney bluster himself (laughs) at this wall. There is Um, so much happening in this goddamn scene. My my favorite thing is he starts running through Barney Fife's personal health, which... he, he tries to listen to him breathing and can't hear it. He tries to measure the muscle mass of his arm and is bewildered at just how little is there and then is terrified at the physical that he conducts. Based off of the results, Barney Fife is basically a corpse. He takes Barney's blood pressure and he makes a joke that he's never been able to wrap the little blood pressure like thing around somebody's arm so many times. And then he looks at the physical. Meanwhile, Barney's just saying, you know, uh, our sheriff, he's really jealous. He's a jealous man. Don't look at his girlfriend. Blah, blah, blah. Don't you? If you can't put a, you can't put a loaded gun in the hands of a man like that, he'll fly off the handle. Basically like, like talking up Andy, like he's bad, bad Leroy Brown or some shit. It's kind of crazy because Barney is openly threatening murder at this doctor, and the doctor is so engaged in his work that he doesn't notice. I don't care how engaged I am in anything. If you tell me that the local sheriff is going to shoot me, I'll notice. I will pay attention. I don't care if I'm like... Look up from your clipboard. Just like... Just... Oh, really? (laughs) Is... Really? Is loaded gun not a word that gets your attention when you hear it in your periphery? Because I could hear that from across a coffee shop and be like, hmm? What? But all all that... All that the doctor is concerned about is Barney's low blood pressure, which, no. (laughs) I am not a doctor. I am not a doctor, but I'll tell you one thing. That man does not have low blood pressure. (laughs) Counterpoint, counterpoint. The reason I would assume that would be true is because Barney probably does not have a lot of blood. I bet if you, if you, like, if you pricked Barney's arm, it would just, it would take, like, 20 minutes for anything to come out. He... He does sort of seem like a, like a, like a, just sort of a raggedy Andy doll. Uh, question, how many children would you think it, do you think it would take to take down Barney in an unarmed fight? Six? Oh, oh, I'm gonna say three. Three. If one of them is, if one of them is Opie, then two. (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah, oh no, Opie 1v1 Barney Fife. I would put I would put a couple grand down on Opie. He could take Barney. Final destination, the- no <laughs> items. <laughs> oh, Fife's only. <laughs> Barney Opie could go through Barney Fife like it's the polygon fight right before Master Hand. Like he would just be like whipping Barney Fife's off the map. <laughs> I, I think based off of these results and the fact that the doctor is like are you sure you're an alive adult man are you are you sure you're not some sort of homunculus made of of leaves wrapped around sticks i'm pretty i put it a golem like, milked by the world's shittiest rabbi <laughs> <laughs> I, I put it like uh, a squadron of three to four well-organized toddlers. Like, if they were toddlers with, like, an adult coach giving them instructions, I would I would say that they could take Barney Fife down like a, like a pack of hunters taking down a mammoth. Let me go back to the porch. Uh, it's evening. Andy is playing his guitar, but I will give him credit. He's not like, I'm gonna do a song because I'm Andy Griffith. 
I'm going to do a song to ruin this episode. He's just kind of like plucking around. Like about every six months, I pick up my guitar and I'm just like, do I remember how to play this thing? And he's basically doing the same thing. He's like, I'm going to have to ruin an episode in three episodes. I should start practicing. <laughs> gotta, gotta get the old guitar fingers warmed up for when I need to make this the latter half of an entire episode. So he does this, uh, and then he's just, Ampy is just fucking brutal to him this entire time. Because she nags him again for not having asked Ellie uh, officially to the social. And she, this is where she says, the it's proper to get engaged and stake your claim. Do the proper thing. Get engaged. Get married. It's time to get married. Why aren't you married? Claim. Like, like Ellie is land. Like, like the Ellie gets repeatedly more and more objectified. Like first, she, she's a chicken. Now she is like, like not 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 just property, but like like a stretch of land in Montana where you're panning for gold. Uh, oh, the, the the phrase "lady druggist" makes its reappearance in this episode again too. Like yeah. anytime you want to dehumanize her, you just say "lady druggist." Like it's almost like a slur, like it's, mud blood. If, if Ellie was in this episode one less scene, it would be like she was a belt that two wrestlers were fighting over. Like, she is barely a person in this entire thing. Finally, Andy says, screw it. Uh, and he storms over to Ellie's house uh, and basically says, hey, you're going to social with me, right? 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 And, and he yells El- at her. What his yeah. per, his result to uh, like his his move when threatened romantically is to just go to Ellie and yell at her like he's a drill sergeant and she's not properly cleaning her bayonet like Ellie Eleanor Donahue do you like me huh do you do you go to this social event with me All check right. yes or check no <laughs> do not do not make us a, a third box that says maybe. And then a little heart around it with a winky face. Don't do that. It's just going to confuse me more. And Andy's method of seduction is the same way I would try to scare away a bear. Like, he makes himself very big and waves his arms and just, and just goes, I am not afraid of you. I am not afraid. Go to the dance with me. <laughs> Christ. Okay. Uh, and, but then, after he, after she's been like, yeah, man, I'll go to the, I I thought we were going to the the social event together. It's cool. Everything's cool. Your initial assumption at the beginning of the episode was correct. Then, the doctor rolls in to, I don't know why he showed up, just to say hi at, like, 11? Yeah, he's been there several times throughout the night. He's, like, says things like, uh been taking advantage of your hospitality apparently he's been there multiple times andy is again trying to stake his claim he's being super par- territorial and is just like yeah so before you got here we uh we settled on it right you're going to the dance with me you're going to the ellie's like yeah so dude we don't we, we're, we're done we're done with this shit then andy gets a little continues to get jealous because ellie and doctor doctor continue to have like shop talk basically there they they continue to like uh, commit multiple HIPAA violations <laughs> and just be like, oh, did you give a shot to George? Nah, George isn't sick. He's just a hypochondriac, but I stuck a sailing needle in his butt anyway. <laughs> Let's just reveal this shit. <laughs> just, if Ellie has open windows, 
George, it, George's entire spot has been blown up in the town. Andy is doing the extremely attractive thing uh, of sitting on the other couch because the doctor took the spot next to her and sweating bullets, which I definitely sympathize with from high school. Like, oh, oh I've oh. been there, Andy. Massive PDA, because they're not, like, sitting together on a large couch where there is space between them. They pick the littlest fucking, basically an ottoman with with armrests and just, like, scooch up next to each other. So one of their legs is on the other one's leg. And they're like, oh, let's do some inside jokes. That That sounds fun for all three of us, right? Oh, Andy, you're still here. The next thing, I, I don't, like, you've got notes here. I don't particularly remember the next scene. Um, uh, it, it, it's more of this, like, bullshit. It, it's filler, the next scene is, really. It's just the same thing. Uh, the doctor walks into the pharmacy. Barney sees him. Uh, Bar- oh. uh, the doctor walks into the pharmacy. Barney and Andy see him walk into the pharmacy. Barney then proceeds to, again, get all up in Andy's ear and say he looks, he's grinning like a mule-eating briar, which... All right. Again, what? Sure, I guess. Mules like Briar. I okay. So, so Barney, Bar- they send Barney in to do some spying. Uh, Don Notch gets to do some shtick. He uh, he sneaks around the pharmacy. Um, uh, he 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 fumbles with the bell to try to not make noise. Uh, this is one. Oh the right, he's re- he, he he like yells in the like. Oh, uh, it's me, Ellie. Uh, I'm here because uh, Ellie and the doctor are in the back room, um, mildly suspicious. Uh, and he's just like, "I'm, I'm leaving now. This is me leaving." And he, he almost pretty much does the like pantomime walking down the stairs behind the <laughs> counter kind of thing. Yeah, there, there is a really good shot of Barney like squat walking around the counter, <laughs> um, yeah. but. This is when the reveal happens of like, oh, he's showing her pictures of uh, of his fiance, like, and uh, and Ellie's like, oh, you want to get married? Uh, and he's like, yeah, yeah, no, I absolutely want to get married. And Barney just hears like, I want to get married, and assumes that they're talking to each other. Um, and which uh, again, you know what? A reasonable assumption on Barney's part. I'll never say that again, but a reasonable assumption. Also, this entire conversation, the do- Ellie is sitting on a, on a chair and the doctor is wrapped around her, holding the picture, like, right up around her. Like, romantic as fuck posture. Why are they like that? It's super weird. Um, but, and then, uh, the big line happens of, like, well, uh, who, who in town can officiate? And Ellie goes, well, there's only one justice of the peace. Andy. Uh, will be happy to do it for you. Uh, and Barney, like, runs out and and just, like, charges towards the jail. He's like, Andy, Andy, you're being cucked! You're go- they're <laughs> going to make you do the wedding! <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, no, and then he, like, runs in, is like, like, runs into the jail and just is, like, like flailing his arms. He's like, they're gonna make you do the wedding! They're going to make you watch! <laughs> and Andy is like gets really upset and then storms out and says, I'm a fight for what's mine. Which again, what's mine? Like she's she's been downgraded from like animal to property to just like inanimate object. Like the the objectification is so like built into the DNA of this episode. 
so then so then Andy goes to the pharmacy uh, and he does this really weird romantic interaction where he basically just like proposes through bullying. He's just like, well, I've been knowing you for a while. Feel like I should know you for a longer while. Please remember flashback to how their relationship started where Andy got mad that he was quote unquote tricked into asking her to a dance. Like that's been this theme for their entire relationship is Andy just kind of splutters and blusters for a while uh, because he's an indecisive dick who can't make up his mind. And then Ellie kind of says, oh, well, what? I guess we're this now. Yeah. And, and Andy goes, oh, okay, I guess we are. And then he gets so mad and goes, wait, no, we're not. This is the this is the same same routine we've seen with these two for a while. This is also where the big reveal happens that uh, Doctor 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 has a fiance, and he reveals this because Ellie, like very smugly, is just like, "Hey, did you just propose?" It's it's part smug and also part confusion because I think that's a legitimate question. Like, is that what just happened? Did, did you just <laughs> did ask you me to just marry you? Scream propose and none of I'm, his I'm, propo- I'm legitimately confused what, what what just went down none of his proposal reasons are like hey uh we enjoy each other's company or hey my son really likes you or hey we compliment each other or hey any good thing just like i've put in my time haven't i huh have i oh i've been good to you we've known each other for some time it's appropriate for us to get married like and and it's not just Andy in this proposal. It's been the entire episode. No one's ever like, uh, hey, Andy, good reason uh, for you and, and Ellie to, uh, to, to get married. You know, it's, it's something based off of, like, positive relations between the two of you. It's all just like, get married out of fear. Get married out of, like, fear of missing out. Like, that's in no way a recipe for a miserable marriage or a two-year divorce. So the way that we find out that Dr. Dr. Gimme the News has a fiancé. Uh, Fuck you. It is, uh, like, once once it's been established that they're, that uh, Ellie and Andy are officially engaged, uh, Bob's, the, the doctor is just like, oh, well, we can have a double wedding. And Andy has this good moment where he's like, will you just please stay out of the, wait, double wedding? What? What the hell? What? And that's when we find out that the fiancé is on her way. Uh, and that's when Andy's like, oh, I'm going to walk this back. We should have a long, long engagement. Uh, I'm Ellie's- sure the fiancé would be super thrilled to do a double wedding with complete strangers without <laughs> yeah. being insulted. I'm sure she's crazy on board. Uh, like, like uh, this poor off-screen fiancé is being, like, dry hump cheated on and is now suddenly, like, apparently has no say whatsoever in her own wedding. So, I'm just gonna skip to the end here. Uh, Yeah, Ellie teases Andy. Andy kind of walks it back. They eventually decide, well, we got plenty with, like, five E's uh, of time to do this. And... Andy goes, oh, thank God we're not engaged, and kisses Ellie on the forehead. The stinger is that Andy and uh, Barney walk into the pharmacy. Again, the doctor and Ellie are in the back, uh, and they're, like, doing some... Again, all you can hear is some dialogue, and it's just like, does that feel good? Would you like a little kiss? Give you a little kiss? Some weird shit, honestly. Sounds like fucking. 
Andy and uh, Barney run to the back room expecting to catch somebody in flagrante delicto. Uh, and that they do is they catch Aunt Ellie and the doctor uh, patching up Opie who has like a wound because he got hurt somehow playing. I skinned my knee! Hello! Thank God we have a doctor around! And then everyone's like, ha 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 ha! Andy's a negligent parent! The end! <laughs> you know what I found, like, really, like, kind of interesting in this episode is... And this this episode, like, really crystallized something from the entire show. Ellie is, full stop, the antagonist of the Andy Griffith show. She is the Lex Luthor to, to Andy's Superman. And it's kind of a weird continuation on that, like, old thing of, like, you know, the long-suffering wife in, like, uh, in older and older TV shows where, like, the women were, like, as you go further back, women are less and less the protagonist. And they're either, like, the wet blanket or the voice of doubt or just sort of, like, uh, a, 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 an increasingly negative force the further you get, go back in TV. And it's kind of cool to see, like, at the origin, women were, like, like the, the, the romantic... Uh, lead was like a super villain to the main character. Like, <laughs> Ellie is the Red Baron of this show. Just Andy is like shaking his fist at her like, Damn you, Eleanor! I'll, I'll get, get you, you, my own girlfriend! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll see you Tuesday for our date when I'll best you! It's it's such a weird dynamic to see like like that we've had to evolve from. Alright, before before we move on, I want to have uh, one more note on George Nader. Apparently, he was in so many shitty movies. He has I his own page. He has his own page on the Mystery Science Theater 3000 wiki. Uh, he was in three separate episodes of Mystery Science Theater. I believe it. Also, uh, he, in the mid-70s, became a science fiction writer. He wrote a novel in 1978 called Chrome. Uh, and it was a sci-fi novel uh, about a same-sex couple. Uh, and pr- yeah. So a uh, little bit of queer writer sci-fi history. I know a couple people would be interested in that. I am so happy that L. Ron Hubbard didn't show up in any of his backstory. When you said that he became a sci-fi writer, I was like, oh, Christ, here Ooh. he comes. Yeah, nope, nope. Uh, so from what I understand, after this, George Nader went on to live a long and happy life with his partner. Good for you, George. I'm Clint. And I'm Jared. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Alcoholywood. Your source for inebriation, Which you're not listening to right now, because this is just a promo for a weekly podcast on all kinds of movies. New, old, good, bad. Yeah, especially bad. Plus, we invent a cocktail and a drinking game inspired by each film. And sometimes we make jokes. Not this time, but sometimes. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher and check out the whole shebang at alcoholywood.com. All right, all right, let's go ahead and uh, pour ourselves a stiff one. Oh, fuck. Fuck me. Can we talk about, I have more stuff about gender we could do. No. There's not. We're doing Indian Opie Housekeepers. You know, I just saw Ant-Man. It was all, it was solid. Speaking Uh, of Ant, Ant B is the heart of this episode. All right, so let me do the one-sentence Wikipedia summary. This episode fucking sucks. I I Uh. don't want to do this thing. All right, so here's here's a bad David Adler episode. Be Andy and Opie Housekeepers, March 13th, 1961. 
Andy Papa and John's OP. got fired. Did you see that in the news? He's gone. <laughs> we could talk about his shitty pizza. <laughs> Andy and Opie try to break their habit of making the house a mess while Aunt B is away tending to a sick cousin. All right, you know what, Dan? I'll, I'll do you a favor. I'm just going to recap the events of the episode right now before we do like the get into it. All what right, events? So- <laughs> there are none. <laughs> Alright, so basically, here's the entire episode in a nutshell. Uh, Aunt B is complaining that the boys are super messy, uh, and then she gets called away to go deal with her cousin who is sick with bursitis or something like that. And, uh, that is a great old-timey disease. I've never heard someone mention bursitis. She's gone for a few days, during which uh, Opie and Andy completely trash the place boys will be boys until finally they get to the point where it's like so messy that they can't actually function or have anything so then they decide to clean everything uh and that takes forever and then they sit down and they clean everything's clean and they're like oh boy won't aunt b be happy when she sees that we can get along without her uh and then they go oh no aunt b will be sad because she thinks we don't need her so then they go back and they trash the place again they mess everything up uh, and so that Aunt B can come home and clean up after them, which is fucked. Uh, and then they leave, but an old lady, uh, Bertha Edwards, who will be forever known as Clara Edwards and going forward, another old lady comes over and is like, oh, I just want to check on the house, sneaks in while they're gone, sees what a mess they made, cleans it. So then they come back with Aunt B and... Aunt B realizes, oh, it's clean again. And everyone's a, like, Andy's a little confused that it's clean again. As predicted, Aunt B is sad that they can clean the house without her. So then Opie goes and messes up his room uh, behind her back. And then Andy goes ahead and messes up the kitchen behind her back. And hilarity ensues. That is the entire episode. I just disappeared into my own consciousness for the duration of that explanation. Like, I think I could learn meditation if we just took that recording and played it on a loop in a room that I was in. Like, I I just lost time. Like, it's so bad. It's the worst. It's so nothing. And it's, not only is it a stupid series of events that are in no way entertaining, but it's insanely avoidable like the the only conflict of it shows up incredibly late in the episode and it is literally a brief conversation i don't understand why is it no one in this show can just explain their feelings to each other or is it like no one in the 1960s could have any sort of like like conflict like what 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 gets me about this episode is it's more of that, like, Andy Griffith style, everybody has their place, everyone has their role, and everyone needs to, like, accommodate that role. And Aunt B's role is the housekeeper. So if you take that away from her, if you give her, God forbid, a single day off, then she won't know what to do with herself. They treat it like if Aunt B doesn't have a full docket of cleaning up after these two men... They, like, she's gonna fucking kill herself. Like, it's so shitty. It's so shitty the way they treat her. It's like, like, we're, we're taking advantage of you and using you as slave labor for your own good. Cause that's what you do, right, Aunt B? That's what you're good at. That's what makes you happy. Again, it's, it's like, it's like that couple from a few episodes before. They fight because that, 
we gotta let them fight because that's what makes them happy. Gotta let Aunt B clean because that's what makes her happy. Right? That's that's how this goes. Nobody can be anything other than the way Andy Griffith perceives them. It's like she's one of the builder things from Fraggle Rock. Like she has no personal life, and when you take away her necessity to like to clean up after uh, after someone else, she just sits in an empty closet eating saltines. Like. Like, like they, they don't. That was think- that was our introduction to her. You used that line in our first episode. Like, apparently, she was just sitting in a box somewhere, waiting for a child to rear. After yes. Andy, after Andy grew up, she was just like, "Well, guess I'll return to the grandmother realm, where she just sits and knits, I guess, until another child was born." And she heard the cry out across the galaxy. <laughs> she sits in the void like fucking Miracle Man, just hovering in this blank white space. But, and, and it's not just if, like, she needs a general overarching, like, like task to do. If her, every single minute of her fucking schedule is not filled with cooking, cleaning, or opie tracking, she just, like, uh, what, she completely... She melts. She just, like, like fades into sugar cubes, like... Like what? When o, when Andy goes out of town and she doesn't have to clean up after two people, does Opie just have to like shit on the rug to make up the difference? All right, Dan. Like, so we're gonna do this. Scene one. Fuck. <laughs> Opie do is this. coloring on the floor, and Aunt B looks at him. I'm and really says, having a hard time reading Catch Twenty Two. I know I mentioned that earlier, but you know it's a really difficult book. Surprisingly, like, he it's, says, you know, for a thing says, in high school, it just are you jumps cleaning? from topic to topic. Are you coloring so- the paper? Are you coloring your book? Are you coloring the whole floor? And Opie says, "I have no idea what you're talking about. I am barely literate." And B says that Opie is the messiest boy she's ever seen in her life. And then she looks at Andy, who's like. I don't know what he's doing wrong. And says, oh, you know what? Opie must be the second messiest boy because you're the first. Me, 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 me. Then she gets a mysterious call. It's long distance. And it's a cousin who's got bursitis or some crap. Uh, and some she says, old timey, like, like the person has like double rickets. Like, like he has a rare, a rare case of omni rickets. My dearest B, I have caught the consumption. <laughs> I, I fear this will I, be the last time I write. I have come down with a rare case of turducken polio. <laughs> oh fuck! It's yeah, no, it's just like her. It's it's what an excuse for her to leave shows up, uh, and so she does, and she says, you know, be sure to clean up. Blah blah blah. I'll be in a few days. Uh, you can take and Andy is doing that. We can take care of ourselves, which. You know, I feel like you see this. Uh, I feel like you see this this sitcom episode a lot. I feel like most shows have a "Mom's away, so the boys will play" kind of episode. But and it's not. They don't play. Like in in "Mom's away, boys will play" episodes, they do. There's a period where they're doing like fun, goofy stuff. Like they do like jousting with brooms on bicycles, or like like they they the characters will like the irresponsible characters will turn like. A, a a mattress into a sled and go down the stairs or like yeah, in a fucking we get animal get None house. of that. None Opie of that. Opie plays on a fucking bed while the ants go marching in plays for like tw- what felt like 12 goddamn minutes. <laughs> Alright, like, let's talk about that scene because it made me distinctly uncomfortable. 
Are you? That scene made you uncomfortable. That scene filled me with a boundless rage. Cause no, again- no. So, so basically, what happens is a little boy that we've never seen before enters. This is when they're cleaning or whatever, trying to pick up. Uh, here's Opie from the bedroom, and Opie's like, "Come in here." And Opie's got a sheet over his head, and the little boy's just like, "Oh, are you a little ghost now?" And oh my god, there's so much child screaming here. Uh, and then Opie's just like, I'm trying to make my bed. And the kid's like, why? And Opie's like, I don't know. So let's help. And so they, like, try to, like, make this bed in, like, childhood antics. I think they were really going it's for, like, a... like fucking childhood antics. The kids just stand on the bed and just wave their arms vaguely, just desperately hoping they hear direction from, like, like the actual fucking director. And he's just, like, he's hung over as all hell for this yeah, episode. I, I gotta be honest, after a while I'm like, Sweeney, Sweeney, say cut! Get Sweeney, in say there, cut! Swe- Get <laughs> in there, end, Sweeney, what are you doing? End this, Sweeney, end this torture! Listen, he was just extremely drunk and or hung over for this one. He, it just, he was, it goes on. They just kind of like, ha, we're bouncing on the bed now! For a while, I guess. Uh, all right. So this was so, that scene so, was the point where I I like I'm not exaggerating that it took me like seven attempts to get through this episode. Like there are like four different Netflix accounts in which like the, the Andy Griffith show is up to the bed jumping scene because I kept watching it on like different people's TVs and computers, just trying to just one of these ones. I gotta break through it. How long can this scene be? And the answer is forever. It's forever. <laughs> We're still this watching is, it right now, actually. I I broke through. The, yeah, no, this is just a daydream I had. I I broke through that one scene and I was like, oh my god, what year is it? It's so bad. It's so weird and bad and just just fills time. It's just awful and uncomfortable and I hate it. I can't think of a fucking TV episode where they had this little of a goal and a thesis where they were just like, um, what if we just had two characters kind of like stand on a bed and then we played the ants go marching in on a loop uh, with the most annoying trumpet for just the whole thing. And then maybe it's, it's, it's a joke. And you know, that's a sizable portion of the fucking episode. Like, yeah, yeah, so the next thing, I'm not going to say the next thing that happens, the next thing I can remember is that Andy is finally is like, well, I'm going to go cook us some dinner, some pork and beans or whatever, and they realize it's a whole stack of uh, pots and pans, and they don't have any plates or anything, so Andy sends Opie over to a neighbor's uh, to the, go. the canned audience is losing their shit. The canned audience is like, oh my god, that couch is dirty. I'm going blind with sheer <laughs> ecstasy. Finally, they decide to wash the dishes, and, and Andy's just like, now, now, we're not washing the dishes because it'll make Aunt B happy. We're washing the dishes because we're men and we need to wash the damn dishes. No, he sends, first, before this, that's like three scenes ahead, he... He sends Opie to the neighbor's house to get plates and pots and pans and all the stuff to make eggs. And it it might have been a, a, a decent bit, but it's so long. It's like, okay, so go get a plate. Sorry, make it two plates. 
sorry, make it two plates and then two forks and also two knives and also one pan. Sorry, make it two pans. Like he keeps going and they stretch just, the bit. It, 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 it stretched so long that I literally thought we were in another scene. I just, it, it's, it's all the same. At one point in time, Aunt B calls, uh, and I think, right, she calls and is like, you've got a big old stack of pots and pans. Neener, neener, neener. Don't worry. I'll clean everything when you get here. Me, 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 me. And Andy's like, well, I'll show you, Aunt B, or something. I don't know. You know what this episode is? You know what this episode fucking is? It's I know what it ad. isn't. It's it's a commercial. It is a, I could take, you could give me this episode, basic editing software. I'd cut it down to like 10 seconds and then just put Mr. Clean at the end of it because fucking whatever. And then like, I've, I've done an ad. It is literally an ad for like Tide that's been stretched out over an entire fucking 22 minute episodes of television. Just look directly at the fucking camera. I don't. I, I know. I know what this episode isn't, and that's good or entertaining or anything. Ah, <laughs> uh, Marty. Why? So, so Andy decides to wash the dishes. Else. Andy decides to wash the dishes, and he does a you wash, uh, I'll wash them, and then you put them away. Deal with Aunt Opie, and Opie like waves them wildly like a bird or whatever uh and if he that's what he's gonna do he air dries them he's so stupid uh such a stupid illiterate little fuck face (laughs) and then and then andy's like don't dry him with your don't don't dry him with the air and then opie's like oh well i got this and he pulls a handkerchief out of his apron or whatever and andy's like don't dry it with your your handkerchief either you because you're gross and you have like millions of germs all around you're basically pig pen from from fucking charlie brown gross little child there's just like disease under your fingernails because you're like running around in the dirt all day like he he picks up the towel and he's like look at this it's a dish towel new invention it's just a dick to his child by the way that's not a dish towel it's a regular fucking towel. I learned that. I've been yelled at in my home for using the wrong towel for doing the different things numerous times. So there are different I'm, kinds of towels? Yes, sir. I, turns out that's what happens when you move in with your girlfriend. You learn that there are different types of towels for things. Neat. Well, one good thing came out of this. I learned that about life. Uh, so then... <laughs> so. Then they sit down, they're like, boy, we cleaned everything, and now we're real tired. And Opie's like, well, uh, that Aunt B will be real happy when she finds out we don't need her. And Andy goes, what? Andy is ultimately right about Aunt B needing them to be messy pieces of shit to, to have a purpose in life. Which, because this is written by a man. Um, but fucking, that is a... A shitty codependent relationship. If your happiness and fulfillment as a human being requires another person to not be functional or able to take care of themselves on a basic level, you're then that's bad. Then you have a bad relationship with that person and you need to take up a fucking hobby. Like, Aunt B, just take up knitting in your free time and be happy with all the knitting you did in the time that Andy and Opie learned how to clean a dish. Fuck. <laughs> so, so they make they bad. make the place 
They fucking sh- well, we can do this, Dan. You're just <laughs> so you're, broken. You're just dragging it out. We could have been there by now. <laughs> okay, keep going. So they 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 go to go pick up Aunt B because Aunt B said that she's going to come in on the afternoon bus or whatever, and they run into Bertha, later known as Clay as Clara Edwards, uh, who was checking on things. But Bertha's a fucking busybody. And can't mind her own business, so she just Bertha enters. breaks and enters. She just enters their house, whatever. She sees that everything's a mess, and she goes, oh, this won't do. So it's implied. I'm really su- I'm surprised they didn't just show us a montage of, of Bertha fucking cleaning. Oh, no, 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 no. They don't do montages in this episode. They do two scenes slightly sped up. Like, and, and they're like, montage, you guys need to see every single movement of Ron Howard cleaning a couch. So I'm really surprised, though, that they they trusted the audience enough to let the audience figure out what Bertha was going to do. Uh, I guess because it's a woman, they figured we don't care to see her for very long. I don't know. Uh, so it's like It's like Mayberry just has this, like, massive transient population of old ladies who just are just, like, flitting around desperately looking for anything to do with their time. Like, if you don't lock your doors enough, you'll just come home and an old lady will have cooked all the food in your fridge. Like, what the fuck? It's, it's the stupidest mechanic for a TV show. Go, go ahead, I'm sorry. Alright, so the next freaking scene. Aunt, Andy, even... Opie, Aunt B, they come home. And the house is really clean, and Aunt B is really shocked and and devastated. Aunt B is she's Aunt upset. B a clean living room and is like, like oh, like 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 shooken. Like she just like come home to Andy and Opie had been murdered. So then Andy and Opie they try to clean and like or they try to mess up as much as they can, as fast as they can. Opie runs upstairs and starts to mess up his room. And Andy goes and starts to mess up the kitchen. And Aunt B's like, oh, you thought you could get away with the blim, with that, could you, me? <laughs> Whatever. She's just like, it's all like mirthful. That she, like, they, they fake cleaning the house. And then she thinks she caught them having uh, having cleaned the house at the last minute. So uh, basically, they, they successfully con- I mean, it's sort of, between the two episodes, it is one notable thing. Like, man, like most, like it's the Shakespearean thing of like, there's the farce like there's the misunderstanding that results in a bunch of people having to do a bunch of crazy bullshit to make up for the misunderstanding but most misunderstandings in like like going back to shakespeare are based off of reasonable shit that fucking happens like there's always a reasonable barrier between (laughs) sometimes the reasonable shit is a fucking fairy king who is horny but you know all right sure yes yeah yeah no exactly like there's a, a fucking genie shows up I'd accept horny fairy king as a uh, an excuse for some of this shit happening. I mean, that's, that's according to the Greeks, like, how everything was founded was, like, we had horny gods. They were misunderstanding yeah. each other. Exactly. Like, there was, a, there was a fucking mechanic, at least, back then. And for these, it's just, like, waspy inability to talk about your feelings to anyone. Like, like... I'm surprised that Andy's response to worrying that Aunt B might feel bad is not to have, like, Barney put on a ghillie suit and sneak around doing espionage for 40 fucking minutes. Like, Every, no everybody one... has the emotional intelligence and capabilities of, like, 
an 1800s Irish sustenance potato farmer. <laughs> <laughs> they could literally, they could solve this. They could, like, they could have looked at the situation where Ampy comes home to a clean house and is sad, and they could just be like, "Hey, Ampy, we really value you as a human being. Do you want to go get a soda? Do you want to just go like hang out?" And just, talk about our days. Like, just, just be nice to someone, Andy. Why is this such a big deal? Just be nice to someone. Barney hanging from the rafters by a zip line to replace a fucking vase. Most of the time when we do this, I always like asterisk it by saying, yes, I realize if they did that, then there would be no episode. But this time there shouldn't be a fucking episode. There's not really an episode now. Just we show would have just just show the gentleman crook again. Just show that on a repeat until you have another idea for an episode. So Fuck. then we get we get to the stinger, which is the closest thing that this episode has to a joke. Like we've been building up this entire fucking half hour for this. Bertha comes over and she says, "So, how did the house look when you got home? Because remember, Bertha thinks that she cleaned everything. Aunt B says, oh, you would have, you would have, um, it was a pigsty. You would never seen such a mess. Oh, so then Bertha gets insulted and she storms out. Also, at that point in time, I think that like, like Andy and Opie should have also left. Like, you know, it wasn't that bad. You can, you can back up a little bit now. Take your claws off of our fucking throats. We tried our best. Jesus. But- yeah. I hate everyone in this episode. I I hate everyone in these two episodes. The uh, Gentleman Doctor is a better episode of TV, but everyone is a huge asshole in that one too. There is like it, everyone is a huge asshole in all of these episodes together as a unit. Oh, the entirety of Mayberry should be thrown into the sun. All right, let's go ahead and uh, that's a good time to do our ratings. <laughs> oh, <God>. Fuck. <laughs> All right, Dan, the new doctor, Andy Meter. The new doctor, Andy Meter. It's a, you know, I was going to give it a higher rating, but not two. It's a two just for, I. it's too close in my head to this episode. Yeah, I got, I got to give us a three at the, at best. It's just, yeah. it's crap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I didn't, I also didn't laugh at all during it. It's, it's not funny. Yeah, but the the only the closest thing it has to humor is like Barney's little goose walk that he does when he's sneaking around, and that's fine. It's yeah, there there is a really fun like kind of a funny line where Barney like refers to the Doctor and Ellie as two young people lost in a world of pills, which I think is also the tagline of Requiem for a Dream. So you know, um, that <laughs> yeah, made me that- laugh. Uh, the, the the preamble to the opioid epidemic. Um, opioid? Ah! ah! I'm going. I'm taking off my fucking headphones. I don't have to submit myself to this. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> All right, so FIFO-meter. I'm so tired. FIFO-meter... They're, Everyone's uh, a dick in this. Like, I gotta give it at least five fives. It's it's six. It's six. There's some really fucked up gender politics. Uh, there, everyone's a huge asshole. It's 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 not even like every like like everyone's an asshole in one direction. Like in the one where Andy pr- uh, commits voter suppression, because everyone is just being an an asshole in every direction simultaneously. So you can't really like 
assign that much like political weight to it because there's no fucking good guy or okay opinion that anyone has. Six. It's six. All right. Let's 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 roll through Opie and Andy and Opie housekeepers. Yeah, I think I already know the answer to this, but Dan Andy meter zero. Can we go negative? I get, are we allowed to go negative? It's our show. We can do whatever we want. The rating is hatred. The rating. The, the rating is is self immolation. God damn it! I hate this episode. Oh God. I'm gonna, Fuck. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a one just because, like, I, I'm just aghast at how much nothingness you can fit into 25 minutes. It's almost impressive. It's uh, so I'll give it a one. Fife score, fifo meter. I mean, there's not enough. There's codependency. I think it's, it's. There's not even enough there to be really like morally reprehensible. Yeah, I, I can't. Um, be, like, I'm, I'm mad at this, this episode, but not for any of the normal epi- reasons. I'm mad at things. So zero to that too, I guess. Two, and you know what? It gets the the patented Aunt B stamp of it took something from me emotionally. Thanks for bearing with us on this one, folks. Oh, God. I hope our pain was entertaining. I really hope this was entertaining, because if not, I just screamed for nothing. Uh, Speaking of screaming for nothing, you can watch us on YouTube. Please check out our Patreon that we pimped at the very beginning of this episode. Please support us in this, uh, because otherwise we're doing this for free and it hurts so bad. Don't forget to share, rate, and review. It's a big help. Uh, thank you to everyone who's listened to us so far. Uh, our music, as always, was done by Max Ludwig. You can follow him online at Sleep Talkie. Logo designed by Emily Christina. She is on Instagram as Scribble Emily. Uh, please, you know, get in touch with us. Uh, t- you know, maybe there's a fan out there of this episode who says that we're totally wrong and can give us a dissertation about why we suck. I don't know. Tweet at us. We're at Break Mayberry. Don't you dare come at me about this episode. I will burn you to the ground. Email us, breakingmayberry at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow me on the internet. I am at Schneid Remarks on Twitter. That's S-C-H-N-E-I-D Remarks. I'm at the Luds with two Ds. Uh, you can follow Ron Howard uh, on the internet on Twitter. He's at Real Ron Howard. This time, hashtag tweet at Ron Howard. Give... Ron Howard, some before and after photos of your house when you clean it next time. Just, like, a pile of laundry, and then after, d- d- neatly folded clothes. Just just let, let him know. Is our goal to drive, to drive <laughs> Ron Howard insane? I don't Is- know. Other than that, let's see, next time we have a plaque for Mayberry, uh, and the inspector. I'm very excited about this because someone is finally going to hold Andy and Barney accountable for the horrible shit that they do. Uh, so that's it. Yeah, we so gotta do a- some shit for the inspector. That's the uh, the great indictment of, or the great trial of Andy Griffith. So there we go. That's the uh, that's what we've got coming up. Uh, thank you all for listening. We're very tired, but we'll still see you all down at the fishing. <laughs> Thank you.
feel like uh, someone doesn't understand something in the old timey South unless you use it, use an animal in, uh, analogy. Like if you just say like, oh, yeah, he's in a good mood. Wait, what? He's like a beaver in a forest. Oh, God. Why didn't you just say that the first time? 